Every day we hoistle in at Pilots and Pictards Podcast. Welcome back, hoisters, to the Pilots and Petards Podcast. The podcast with nothing much ado about aircrafts, but potentially everything to do with the first episodes of a filmic series. Uh, disclaimer, petard is a word, it is a literary word, a real word, and it means bomb, and you should go read your Shakespeare. So I'm Drew, the pragmatic cyclops of this podcast. This is Jimbo, the anti-millennial, non-conforming, existentialist pilot critic, and Kenny of the podcast. And unfortunately, Hoisters, the magical Miss Mo, master of pilots and nobos, is going to be out this week. You pretty much guessed that. But joining us, we have author and host of the History of Literature podcast, Jack Wilson. And Jack, would you like to briefly introduce yourself further? Hi, everyone. Well, I guess I have some big shoes to fill with the magical Miss Mo not being here, but I will do my best. I'm very excited to be here to talk to you about one of my favorite shows. Cheers. Thank Drew for this ad-free listening. And Drew, do you want to add on to that? So I spawned this episode. I'm writing some movie reviews of pre-MCU, pre-2008 superhero movies over at butwhythough.com. Next movie I'm reviewing is Batman Returns. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's a good one, man. I'm excited. Join us today as we cast judgment and determine if the iconic workplace bar room sitcom Cheers will be hoisted or not hoisted. That is the question. And as as Jack alluded to, he chose this show as as our guest. We gave him the guest choice. And so, Jack, if you can maybe just talk a little bit more about the show and kind of why you decided this would make a good pilot review. This show had really kind of hit my sweet spot. I think I was about 11 when it first launched. And I don't think I saw the first couple of seasons in prime time, but that was back when, you know, I was just a, a kid in Wisconsin and our, our television set only, we only got three or four channels. And there was a, a block of time uh, when the news was dominating all the networks and you'd get to watch reruns of sitcoms. And so I went through whatever sitcom was on. Sometimes it was the Brady Bunch. Sometimes it was the Dick Van Dyke show or uh, I Love Lucy or Taxi or the Mary Tyler Moore show. And you'd go through these waves of them. And right around the time that I started to grow out of sitcoms, was when the Cheers reruns came on and it just seemed so sophisticated, so so funny and so grown up. They basically just had a lot of uh, double entendres and all these things that would appeal to a, a 12 or 13 year old. And so it really stood out for me as as a little bit different from all of the other sitcoms, sort of. It had kind of uh, grown out of them. And, and then I think it was kind of a, a bit of the end of an era because by the time I got to college, there was Seinfeld and The Simpsons and, and sitcoms really took a, a new turn. But I really kind of grew up with Cheers and for, for the 10 or 11 years that it was on, it was like a, an old friend. So when I saw that it was on Netflix and I saw that you were doing the show and you invited me to be on it, I thought maybe it's time for me to revisit Cheers and see how it holds up. Yeah, so I have... Maybe a little bit of a similar background, but like a difference in years. I also watched Cheers on reruns because it was definitely syndicated and all over the place. But also, my family got Entertainment Weekly as a kid. Entertainment Weekly loved Cheers, and therefore, when it was on, I liked it. I don't really remember specific episodes, but I do remember all the characters. So maybe I was too young to get all the double entendres. Same. I 
Mash was always on. Cheers was always on. I hated Mash, but I did like Cheers, and I was actually a bit disappointed to not see Woody Harrelson in the pilot. Or Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. You know, I I'm was really happy to not see Kelsey Grammer in the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I think I think that's a good place to move into our two sentence summary. So Diana is abandoned at a Massachusetts bar called Cheers by her fiance the night before their wedding. Will Diana get married or will she join the Cheers staff? Stay tuned to find out if you should give a steaming pile of crap. <laughs> I don't think I could top that. Thank you, sir. (laughs) So now we're going to jump into some show notes, some high points, some low points, or anything that's really just stuck out. And, you know, Jack, you chose the show. So what what stood out for you? One of the things that I I had in mind for this show is how influential it had been. And I knew that uh, Amy Poehler, for example, was was a huge fan. She used to watch the show uh, in her trailer while she was shooting parks and recreation uh michael sure the uh the writer and creator of parks and rec and the office brooklyn 99 right and brooklyn 99 and the good place uh was a huge fan of of cheers and so i knew that i would be able to find some things out there about you know how important cheers was to them and i actually found a quote from tina fey talking about the pilot Let me just read the quote. She says, pilot scripts are particularly difficult to write because you have to introduce all the characters without it feeling like a series of introductions. You have to tell a story that's not only funny and compelling, but also dramatizes your main character's points of view and what the series would be about thematically. Love, work, investigating sexy child murders in Miami, etc. Then she said, if you want to see a great pilot, watch the first episode of Cheers. It's charming, funny, and well-constructed. If you want to see an awkward, sweaty pilot episode, watch 30 Rock. And so I I did, as I was watching that, I noticed how effortlessly they brought in, you know, they gave us all this exposition without it seeming too heavy-handed or clunky. Uh, you know, we see Sam, and then we get introduced to Diane and her dilemma, and then we see Coach, and then we see, I think, Carla is next, and then Norm, and, and they all come on stage, but it's all done with sort of a a light touch and a, a humorous, uh, you know, the jokes are are coming pretty quickly as well. But along the way, we learn about Sam's drinking problem and why it is that he owns a bar. We learn that he's a former baseball player. We learn that Carla is this firecracker who's never going to like Diane. We learn all of all about Diane's dilemma. And it just, it made me feel like I was watching a, a really good play or a really good, uh, something that has a really good structure as well as just a lot of good jokes. That's a good point, too, because it's always in the bar. There's only one set, so it is a lot like a play. Yeah, and I was noticing as I was watching some of the episodes, a character will walk around behind the back of the bar, and you can barely hear them. Like, it, <laughs> you know, you really feel like you're... Uh, I think they just almost shot it like a play in a lot of ways, and it really has that feel... And the dialogue kind of has that feel too. Sometimes the acting even seems like they're they're playing to the back of the room rather than to the television camera. Oh yeah, Diane was loud and she was definitely emoting. But Sam was quiet. You know, he kind of had that lean-in quality where like he didn't talk as much, but when he did, you kind of like got in. Whereas like Diane just kind of like bared her soul all the time. But it was cool. You're right. There's definitely like an element of theatricality, especially to her performance. 
Sam is really great in this episode. And I I agree. His character kind of loses something as the series goes on. He It gets a little broader. And I heard uh, Ted Danson once said, you know, it took me a season or so before I really learned how to play Sam and how to feel comfortable as Sam. And it always makes me cringe a little bit to hear that because I think what happened is he just turned it into more of a cartoon and the acting got, a, he made him a little dumber and he does seem more comfortable as an actor, but I think he loses a lot of the first six or seven episodes of, of Cheers and this pilot. He's also, he's a really sensitive guy and he's a really, uh, he's very clever and he's very uh, intuitive. He's, I actually like him better as a character than you know, from season seven or eight, when he's basically just turned into kind of a, a a dumb hound dog kind of guy. I Yeah, I kind of put down one of my high points was Sam is a good reluctant leader. You know, like he's listening, yeah. he's like giving some advice. He's also not exactly behind the scenes, but he's poking and prodding everyone into their next move. All the regulars listen when Sam talks. He like gives them pronouncements. I'm a middle school teacher, so I kind of see Sam like running the room and like when he's talking to people are listening i'm like sam's a good bartender teacher people listen yeah and he's got that good bartender quality of he can be a different person for different people he gives them what they need and so if somebody needs you know a shoulder to cry on he's there for that if somebody needs an inspirational talk he's there for that if he if if he needs to be the one telling the joke he does that if he needs to be the one just offering a smile when someone else is telling their joke he does that and he's he's really kind of that he's got that chameleon quality and and Ted Danson does a really nice job in uh being charismatic without being uh kind of showy or or over the top he's it's a it's a really good performance he's a really interesting body language too throughout um the pilot I don't know if he's a tall guy in real life, but like something about his hair and yeah. being behind the bar, like he just had like a certain physicality to him. And my dad actually told me that he read an article about Danson talking about having to do things behind the bar. And he said that like he ended up just cutting lemons yeah. for like 10 years because he didn't know what to do because he yeah. was just like, I got to do something to act with. And so every time I noticed him cutting lemons, I chuckled a little bit, but also he just had these cool expressions and he really like used the space interestingly. One of the things that people like about it is even though it's a funny sitcom, it has a lot of heart and it has a people, a lot of sitcom writers will say, watch Cheers. They will, they will sacrifice a big laugh if it gives you a point that the character needs. If it, if it's something that will advance the character, they'll, they'll give you that line as well. And if you notice in the pilot, there are these scenes where, There'll be a joke and then it's I think they cut it's before they cut to the second commercial and you you're wondering, you know, that Diane is wondering if Sumner is going to come back and they they tell this joke about it. But then they show her look and it's kind of concerned and then they cut to Sam and he's watching her and it's just this, you know, half a second of his reaction, but it's it's not him laughing at it the one-liner that someone has just said. It's him really showing that he understands everything she's going through and he's already stepping up to express this concern for her. That's great attention to detail. I can, I'm can. i ready to kind of move into a low point, but I think there were too many cheap laughs still like mixed in there, just, just for my taste. I could agree. 
it's more the tone and structure of what Cheers is. Like, I believe it's a three camera, you know, studio audience sitcom. And I think it's one of the better ones, but I have not liked or ever really liked that format. When I started watching shows like Arrested Development, which really started to layer the jokes and like use that time that like you got to wait for on a studio audience, like that kind of became my more preferred type of sitcom. And so I, I agree, Jimbo, like, it's like one, you know, bang, bang, boom, joke after another. Some character jokes, but not as many. Like, I think Carla had the most kind of character-related arc and jokes, which I think made hers the funniest. But there were, like, a bunch of one-liners, and I was not a huge fan of Coach's headache. I was like, okay. <laughs> I really favorite. loved Coach. Uh, that, yeah, I like Coach him, was, was just Coach like, was awesome. Like his, Coach things. Yeah, that guy. It definitely feels like the kind of show that you can't make anymore. It's got that rhythm. You're right. It's got a rhythm. And when you watch episode after episode, like I'm doing now, you fall into that rhythm. You can almost guess what the jokes are going to be. You start anticipating every setup. You know what Norm is going to say. You know it. And my kids are actually calling it out. You know, they'll say, oh, well, you know, when he goes in there, she won't be there. And it's they can see all of the little twists. And it becomes a bit of a, a pattern or uh, or a formula. And I think what happened was uh, shows like, you know, that was how everyone was conditioned to watch comedy. That's how everything was through the 60s and 70s. Shows just had that kind of a rhythm. And then The Simpsons and Seinfeld and Larry Sanders and shows like that, Arrested Development and The Office, they just took a, they just made that kind of a show impossible. I, I might disagree with you saying or not as around because I do feel like the kind of Chuck Lorre, like CBS um, sitcoms that oh, a lot of right. people watch, but like, quote unquote, cool people don't like. Two and a half men. Yeah, two and a half men. And like the Big Bang Theory, I think still yep. I might put them down as like this style. But but yeah, I mean, they're they're tremendously popular. But yeah, like, I don't yeah. think. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to sound pretentious, but, you know, I don't think Go a lot of people it, are just like, I love the Big Bang Theory. Like, most people <laughs> just kind of like crap on it, which is fine. I don't like that show. I tried I to watch some of it Peace Corps, and yeah, it was very formulaic, which is kind of what we're bagging cheers on a little bit for right now. Do you have Do you have a high point to bounce back to, Drew? Oh, I just thought that them making fun of Diane as an academic was really funny. You know, she's like, what are you qualified to do? And she's been like a teacher's assistant. She's obviously working towards some kind of master's <laughs> or doctorate. And she's like, I am, I can't do anything. And I'm like, yup, that's a good 1983 joke. And that's a great 2018 joke too. So that was very funny. I thought that was a good high point. Good social commentary. The, uh, the actor who played Cliff, uh, John Rathenberger, said that Cheers was the last uh, successful television comedy that was written where the writing staff was all people who had grown up reading books instead of watching television. Uh, and then okay. after that, it was, you know, and if you think about the Simpsons and all the pop culture references and, you know, they're more likely to, to refer to Indiana Jones or some other a movie or a television show than they are to refer to books and cheers. You kind of feel like with the language and, and a lot of the references, they really, and I guess the Charles brothers were English majors, and I think their, I think their mother was actually a professor, and their father loved sports, and they didn't realize until like a couple of years into it that they had basically written their parents into Sam and Diane. <laughs> they had a John Dunn joke, you know that thing was a nice 
one-liner like cheap laugh like that was a great cheap laugh yeah but that was a very literary cheap laugh that was fun and then i have to give a shout out to the supporting characters and like we kind of mentioned it with coach but norm and carla like like those supporting characters and just kind of a fun a fun group of people just really sold the show for me i was really amazed when i watched the pilot uh just how uh, close those characters were to what they actually became you know they really seemed to have had the right vision and the cast seemed to really understand who they were playing right from the very beginning carla and norm and and coach and they're just a great ensemble cast and they play those characters perfectly it's it's great casting and great writing and uh characters who you feel like you know immediately and yeah, they did a great job with both Carla's writing and then Rhea Perlman's performance was awesome. I feel like in some places, you're right, like Sam stepped back and he listened and he was passive and he kind of, you know, absorbed things. But Carla was just like energy, 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 energy. And man, Rhea Perlman looks so young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was great. That's definitely a high point there. And then I And then there's a low point that I would like to end on. And, and I think we might come back to it in the dangling threads. But Sumner was just too cliche of kind of the guy you're not supposed to like. Yeah, he should have had, like, those academic elbow patches. Like, they could have gone a little bit further with his, like, evil professorness. But I would say his, his like, on, his only moment is when he jumps in with the sweaty movie uh, nomination. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, good one. <laughs> you know, there's uh speaking of characters that are a little too broad, uh I was looking at the script for the pilot episode and there's a character in there that they completely cut out uh, except that when I was watching the pilot you can see her in it. She's sitting in a wheelchair and yeah. they just kind of go around her. Did you see that yes, woman? So, I don't think she has any lines in the pilot, but she in the script, she has this um she plays kind of uh a Reagan era uh, right wing, a very politically strident character. And she's, she talks about, you know, commies and how everybody, you know, and it's, it's a very, uh, <laughs> she has some very funny what lines. I would have loved her. Man, that was, that was a bad <laughs> choice in my opinion. I don't think they took them out because they were politically offensive. It would be the kind of joke would be, you know, she would say something like, uh, the Today Show, that's the pinkest show on TV. And uh, Coach, and then Coach says, well, it comes in just fine on my set. You know, like that. Dude, I um, almost <laughs> guessed that joke, which is something that we just talked about. I was like. And uh, she had a few other good lines, too. But but uh, it was interesting to see her still there. I think they probably cut them very late uh, in the filming because, um, you know, her character. And they kind of. She didn't really advance the plot much. They reassigned everything she did that advanced advanced the plot to other characters. But and I think we can move on from there. And I'm just going to throw in one last low point. Sam, hair. fuck you, Jimbo. I'm fine with the explicit rating because no, his hair was glorious, and he had some real macho late '70s, early '80s like chest hair going too. Dude, he was oozing sensuality. He has very hairy arms. Dude, he's a he's a very virulent that's not the right word here suit here yeah suit. exactly <laughs> yes thank you i will give a shout out to sam's body hair but his head hair is ridiculous but you know they're all toupees what really yeah he's bald dude he's bald oh no 
Yeah. <laughs> it was a big, it was a well-kept secret for years. I think he might have taken it off at a at an Emmys award or something. He he did sort of a big yeah he did a big reveal. All right, so hoisters, we are ready to move on. I Drew would not allow me to sneak in my my Ted Danson hair low blow. Now without, now know, say whatever you unchecked. want. Jeez, I mean yeah, the body hair. No, that, no, that that was it. That was it. And I'm the editor. I could edit it however I want. So, crab man award. And for any new listeners, hey, crab this man. is a character. That it has a small amount of screen time, but gives way more than they take. Drew, would you like to start us off? Um, I do have some issues with the ensemble cast for the Crab Man Crab X Award. Did you guys notice that the guy who like says goodbye, who's not a regular cast member, in my head I called him not Fraser, gray hair, gray beard. When he says goodbye and thanks Sam for like listening, he takes his wedding ring out of his pocket and puts it back on his finger? whoa i did not catch that i was like oh that guy's an adulterer so maybe he was talking to sam about his like bad marriage while he was cruising for checks so i was like did that guy add some wow, stuff dude. like did that make this did that make it a little bit sleazier <laughs> dude that that is a super crab man i was gonna nominate cliff just because i thought cliff didn't get a whole lot of screen time but cliff and i'm not even gonna nominate him now yeah the adulterer I think the adulterer, dude, that was <laughs> nice. Did you see that? <laughs> I did not notice that, and I've watched this very <laughs> carefully. And I'm wondering now, I'm going to have to go back to the script. I wonder if that guy had some more lines and, and there was a little more to that joke because, um, or that moment. Or maybe the actor just did it, you know, just kind of grabbing a little bit of, of stage time. He knew that was the one time the camera was going to be on him, and he invented a little backstory for himself. Exactly. That's what I nice, thought. Man. I was like, nice maybe about theater. Like, maybe that guy invented his own story to improve his acting. And he was <laughs> like, oh, go back and check it out, guys. You fun. know, I will give a little bit of a nod to the boy at the beginning. Yeah. It was funny, but what I really admired about the boy was just that they used that to introduce Sam. And, you know, the boy's not a recurring character. It's just kind of a throwaway little scene. But it really gives us a nice, it, it's a nice way to introduce Sam. Uh, we see that Sam is, he's kind of patient. He's, you know, he gets it. He's, he's right on top of what the boy is doing. And he's willing to be kind of kindly, even as he's firm with the kid. And it's just kind of a nice little moment that um, I think showed some confidence on their part. And again, that really reminded me of a play. He was definitely a foil char- character. I'm going to have to say he's he's not a crab man. <laughs> I think I liked that scene more than Jimbo did. But also I want to say like Vietnam jokes are hard. I thought that was a kind of a funny Vietnam joke. Yeah. What did he say it was? He said it was gross. Yeah. War is gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's not wrong. I bet war is very gross, you know, especially the Vietnam War. <laughs> Yeah, I'll tip my hat to that kid, but I'm I'm gonna stick to the adulterer. Sorry, Jack. You know you are a special guest, but you definitely got boxed out of that one. Okay, I'll I'll accept my defeat. <laughs> Great nominee. I'll give that to you. <laughs> All right, hoisters, and now for our MVP. And for any new listeners, this is the most valuable part of the pilot. It could be anything on or off screen or anything in between. And I'm going to go back to a character that we've touched on a little bit, Carla. And not just Carla, Mm. but her excuse and her attitude. I love that scene. When Carla enters the bar, 
that was by far for me the most valuable part of this pilot. That was a long, like almost like a monologue. The more you guys talk about it, the more I am like, wow, Cheers was a two scene play. And when Carla comes out, yeah, she just like busts this long monologue with like a lot of movement. And yeah, the camera stays kind of on the main bar as like she goes off, she gets quieter, but you still hear her. And then you hear her get louder when she comes back. So that was a very cool part. And she's so defensive and no one seems to give a shit. Sam yeah. seems to it. What are our other MVPs, Jack? We've talked a lot about Sam, so maybe I'll just talk a little bit about Diane. Sam Simon was one of the writers on the show, and he was very young, and he went on to be one of the three creators of The Simpsons, right? And he he said, basically, we all have cheers to thank for the idea that you, when you're starting a sitcom, the network executives sit down with you and say, okay, what are the character arcs for this season? And it was because the Sam and Diane relationship took the country by storm, basically, and everybody was kind of fall in love with these two. And they had they had said, you know, they wanted it to be a Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy kind of a show, which is I don't know if you've seen any of those movies, but they have a real a real chemistry and they're both equals. They both give it to each other, even though they're usually very different character types. And Diane, I just love the idea of Diane of Diane and there's this great story about Shelley Long the the actress who played her that they would all do the script reads every week and then they would finish and Shelley Long would want to talk about all of the character motivations and <laughs> what the you know what the what the lines meant and what it meant for their characters and everybody else was eager to just get onto the set and start blocking out the show so they could see where they were supposed to stand and where their cameras were going to be and she would make them go through all of this until all of the cast members hated her and I thought well of course this is exactly perfect for Diane this is this is the exact um, It's like who yeah that's that's her character <laughs> that's exactly her character <laughs> Sam or Ted Danson actually kind of defended her he said I couldn't stand Shelley until I got on stage next to her and then I was in heaven even though he acknowledged that everybody else in the cast basically grew so tired of Shelley that they didn't mind when she left the show he always understood how easy it was for him to play Sam to her Diane. And and she is, she's very good. She's, she's easy to dislike because we all kind of, the character kind of gets under everybody's skin. And I think she kind of gets under everybody's skin, but she does it in a way where it's also, she can also be really charming and she's willing to laugh at herself. And she kind of can do some physical comedy and she's sort of an underrated aspect i think of the show especially because after she left then it was easy to kind of pile on and say you know oh, she thought she was too good for the show and and all of this but she gave that kind of it's kind of an unsung heroes performance in the first three seasons i also because the show came out in 1982 i expected a lot more sexism and uh, going back to you know the characters being equal i thought this was a great re uh, representation of women as far as you know, there weren't really any cheap laughs at women and there wasn't any, I can't recall any sexist jokes really. And so, so that kind of surprised me and, and that that's worth mentioning as well. The writers seem to be aware of it. You know, they, they knew when they were giving someone a sexist line, you know, that that would be consistent with the character of the guys in the bar, for example. But then they wanted to make sure that uh, Diane didn't let it slip by unnoticed, and they would often give her an even better line in response. I'll, I'll jump in on that. I also said Sam was a big MVP for me. 
But, like, even the hooker joke was, like, these group gags. I think there were, like, two or three jokes where, like, the entire bar was kind of in on it. Like, that this entire group was all just, like, in one conversation at some point. Like, when Diane is, like, at the door and the entire bar is looking at her. And then when she turns around, they go back to their conversation. Or when they all come back in and they're clapping because she's about to get married. I just thought those were kind of funny because they were kind of absurd, too. Suspension of disbelief is not the right word. But it's more like pulling the reality a little bit to make it more theatrical and funny. Those things might not actually happen, yeah. but they're exaggerated. And that's where the humor is. And maybe that's where the hooker joke lands. Isn't it in the in the pilot where they the phone rings and someone says, okay, who's not here? And everybody raises their yes, hand. That's another their hand. one. That's another good one. <laughs> I wanted to talk for a minute about something you just raised. The joke where she sees Sumner off and she turns around and everybody in the bar is staring at her. Uh, and you get the point of the view. Basically, you see the bar from the long end as if the camera is by the door and you see it from her point of view. And after I watched this show a second time in preparation for our conversation, I noticed something that's really interesting about the direction. It's a beautifully framed shot. And to see it from her point of view is kind of interesting because that's not the the view that we've been given of the bar until this point. But one of the things I noticed is, you know, the gag is, as you say, the everybody suddenly is pretending to talk as if they hadn't been watching her, except for Sam. Sam's the only person. He's standing there drinking coffee and he doesn't change. He keeps looking at her. And it's as if um, it's not in the script. I think it either must have been the director's idea or it must have been Ted Danson's idea. But what I think he's doing there is it's basically Sam's the one who didn't have anything to be ashamed of. You know, he wasn't gawking at her. He wasn't watching her like he was watching a car accident the way the others all were because they were, you know, excited to see her humiliated. He was watching her with concern. And so you see his face and he doesn't even notice that everybody around him is suddenly starting to talk as if they're, um, you know, he, it barely registers with him that that there's this big uh, rush of group activity. But he's just focused on Diane and making sure that she's OK and wanting to register uh, her moods. And it's, it's really a beautiful moment, but it just it sails right past. You know, it's it's barely noticeable, but. It's another one of these moments where you see that Sam is he's more than just a dumb jock. Once again, this is like Jack Wilson's mic drop moment where we're just left speechless. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to go back and watch that scene again. Those are some great catches for sure. Well, I missed the guy with the ring putting his wedding ring back on. So you win, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> All right, hoisters. And on that, I think we'll move on. To the moment before the moment we've all been waiting for. Are Drew and I going to watch Cheers as adults? And is Jack going to continue to rewatch Cheers? And I'll be honest, and I can make it very brief, probably not. I will jump in next. I'm kind of interested in checking back after Diane leaves. Um, I want to see some of those early pre-Fox News Kirstie Alley episodes. Um, and I want to watch the uh, season series finale because... We just did the Lost pilot, and one of the things we talked about was series finales, and Cheers kept showing up on best of lists. So I want to watch the last episode. So this is a qualified revisit, if not rewatch. Well, I'll tell you that I have resisted rewatching Cheers for a long time. Um, and one of the things that I'm really interested in, it it's this weird thing as a parent where you introduce things that you love to your kids. And after you go through a couple of them, 
where they don't like it and they don't appreciate it, you feel kind of burned and you start to get a little bit protective <laughs> about, I'm not going to show them this. Like, for example, I haven't shown them Citizen Kane, which is a movie I love, but I know if they start moaning about being bored and everything, it'll just kind of wreck it for me. So I think, well, maybe when they're in their, you know, late teens or twenties and they've, you know, maybe they'll be in a more patient mood for something like that. But there are certain things like one of my highlights of parenting was, uh, when I bought my kid a Calvin and Hobbes book and he started watching it and laughing out loud. And I realized, oh, he gets it and he's he's got a sense of humor and he's following it. And it was this this really nice moment. And so I've been very um, concerned about showing them cheers because I thought, you know, it's a little bit slow. It's a, the jokes might go over their head. I don't know if they're really going to take the time to watch it. But because of this episode, I had them watch the pilot episode with me. Uh, they loved it. They wanted to watch the second one. And we've been binge watching it since then. So I think we've watched, you know, 25 episodes or something in the last three or Whoa. four days. Yeah. So, oh, cool. yeah. so now I think I'm going to, you know, ride this out as long as they want to watch it. I probably would be skipping around at this point. But because they're so into it and they know nothing about what happens to any of the characters, oh. you know, they've never seen any of this and they just uh, they're just loving it. And so I think it's going to be our summer project. So I think uh, I think I will be watching uh, uh, probably the whole run is my guess. Nice. Dude, that could be a podcast. You and your sons <laughs> watching Cheers. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> there are a couple of episodes that i would recommend if you're just skipping around we can save those for the petardar actually okay and now hoisters the moment you've all been waiting for to hoist or not to hoist that is a question i was kind of undecided coming into this um things i bumped on in the pilot was just the aspects of a sitcom that i don't particularly enjoy but kind of through our conversation i'm appreciating this pilot as a piece of theater and it kind of as a play and it's really growing on me. So I went from like a tepid, maybe this is a not hoist to appreciating the show in a different way. So Jack, I'm glad you were on, man. You pushed me. <laughs> and so this is a, this is a more solid not hoist than perhaps a eh, not hoist that I had before. So I'm not hoisting. Yeah. You know, I'm also flopping. I, Ooh. I was originally Ooh. going to hoist it. I, I also watched it twice and I think the conversation has also, clued me into a couple things that I that I didn't quite pick up on but just talking about it there were a lot of spots that I really enjoyed about the pilot and the stuff that I didn't like I wasn't really supposed to like so I can I can say that this is a a not hoist for me wow and Jack I not hoist for me all the way yeah of and, course. I, I, <laughs> and I feel a little bit like I'm not sure I've I've been as proud as I am at this moment for having helped you guys uh, push you into the the thumbs up side of something. Yeah, you know, I mean, Cheers, <laughs> Cheers could have gotten some shrap metal in them, and and you definitely <laughs> saved them. So, so there you go. You're you're welcome, Cheers. Now, Jabo, we are at the part of the show, the quest for the best or worst pilot, where we look at all the pilots that we watched and decide to slide the pilot we just watched into that ever growing list. At the very top of the list is Netflix's End of the Effing World at number one. At number 33 is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which has not been unseated from. And Hoisters, you can go to our website and look at this running list. Click on the Quest for the Best tab. And so Jimbo, 
I've been pushed up the list. I originally wanted to discuss this one in terms of married with children because I feel like tonally and structurally they're very similar. But through the conversation, I'm I want to go higher. Um, I think that this one is at least above South Park. I definitely enjoyed Married with Children a lot more, so I want to put it below Married with Children. How is South Park above the crown? Every so, Jack. Every time we do this, I'm just like stunned at the order of this list. <laughs> well, it's hard to compare some of the ones you have on there. Like I, I love the Cheers pilot, but you know, Breaking Bad and Freaks and Geeks are two shows that I love, and the Breaking Bad pilot is one of my favorite hours of television ever. So uh, I would have a hard time figuring out how to compare um, something like the Cheers episode with something like the Breaking Bad episode. We had the episode Cloak and Dagger, which is a new series about Marvel superheroes. And that and that we decided was kind of like the midpoint of pilots. Like, it's really easy mm. for us to kind of classify them now. It's either above or below Cloak and Dagger. So this one's definitely above. I kind of feel like it needs to go below the crown. Why is that? I feel like the crown should be higher up. The crown is good. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure why it got a bit shafted. <laughs> I mean, I did hoist it, but like, but I hoisted it with with the fact that I acknowledged that it was good. The list, the list <laughs> is what it is. You know, we don't we don't change the list. We exist with it. Yeah, I'm suggesting in between the crown and Boy Meets World. We put Lost in that spot too. So, do it gets better or worse than Lost? I'm above Lost. I I was very unhappy with the Lost placement. <laughs> I'm fine with that. So coming in at 16, we have the pilot episode for Cheers. Give me a ring sometime. Double entendre there. So Jimbo, now we're going to enter the second half of our show, which is where we just talk about any old thing, some current events or some things from the past or even TV history in regards to the show. This is our Stormy Daniels dangling threads of interest. Mm. Can I jump in with one here? Yes. Oh, absolutely. So I went down this huge rabbit hole of theme songs yes, uh, because this has a great theme song and I remember that it had come out on the radio. And so I kind of wanted to know, you know, did w does this have a claim of being one of the most successful theme songs ever? Uh, it turns out that there were a lot of TV theme songs that were released as singles. And so it really doesn't have, you know, Hawaii Five-0 and like in the... In the 60s and 70s, there were all these cop shows and Bonanza was a big, you know, that theme song was released as a single. And, and I don't think you could top uh, even Friends, which had... Uh, they had a music video. Yeah. And, and that uh, theme song was uh, spent eight weeks at number one, uh, which is pretty successful. But this song, you know, the, the old time drawings and photos that go with the credits... They really kind of captured what they were trying to get with the show, which is that it's a nice place to be. That Cheers is, you know, the, as a bar, it's this it's this beautiful set, too. It's very classy and uh, it looks like a real bar. For me, it kind of carried over. By the time Cheers was ending its run, I was entering college. And so then I was, you know, had an ID and I was able to go to the pub. And I think everybody at college in those years, like 89, 90, 91... I think everybody was looking for a pub and I think we were all coming out of the cheers. Um, you know, cheers had steered us toward that, uh, you know, that that this will be a good place to go hang out with your pals. Um, and so the theme song really kind of captures that. It's got the 
you know, the making the way, making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. And he's singing and it's very, he has a little catch in his, in his voice as he's singing that part where you're very lonely. And then, you know, the nice booming chorus where it sounds more like you're among friends and, um, you know, you're at a place where everybody knows your name. So the theme song is doing a lot of good work here. Um, you know, I think people, I don't know that people liked it because it was a song or because they liked the show and they wanted to just hear the song again and again. And that's why it was released as a single. I don't think it was released right away. I think it was after the show had been out for a few years. Um, but the, the theme song deserves a, a special place, I guess, in talking about Cheers. I like the theme song very much. I want to let you know I picked two theme songs, my MVPs. Jimbo has made fun of me frequently. <laughs> I was surprised you didn't pick this one. I I really thought you were. The theme song is iconic for me because I remembered it very well. But the thing is, when I was watching it today, I ended up seeing all the the words from Flaming Moe's. Like the Simpsons episode where, like, you know, they invent <laughs> that drink and then they do the Cheers parody in my head all these years. I've just been seeing the Flaming Moe's words, which is about, like, having problems with your wife and, like, trying to get away and, like, you know, all these things. And <laughs> I was like, oh, the Cheers theme doesn't have those actual words in it. So I remembered all the 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 pictures, but I messed up the lyrics. I have I have a fun note to add. The the original lyrics were changed. Here are the original lyrics. Singing the blues when the Red Sox lose. It's a crisis in your life. On the run, cause your girlfriends want to be your wife. And the laundry tickets in the wash. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And then I guess they, I guess the um, Charles brothers wanted to be more exclusive to a to a, a wider audience, and so yeah. they changed it. Wow, <laughs> could be a very different show. I'm gonna before we get into other topics, I'm gonna throw out one more piece of trivia that I ran into when I was doing some research for this, and that is that Kurt Vonnegut Jr. was a huge fan of Cheers. Oh, cool! And he said, "I would rather have written Cheers than any of my books." Whoa. Wow. And then the the other unusual fan of Cheers was Prince, oh. who was a big fan. And he liked uh he liked the writing and he liked Kelly's headbands. I don't know if you guys remember the character Kelly, but it's basically Woody's girlfriend in later seasons, and she's this sort of innocent young blonde and she wears these headbands. And so apparently Prince said, I like the writing and I like her headbands. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. This is pretty awesome. That's high praise. It is, yeah. Jimbo, what do you got for dangling threads? I wanted to jump into to your other one where you talk about positive portrayals of the bars as a family substitute. But so that and then also I'm 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 gonna add on to that that Norm is neglecting his family to be at the bar. So, you know, wherever we go from from either of those two topics. And Mr. Jack Wilson, do you have, do you have a comment on either of those before before Drew jumps in? So maybe I'll wait for Drew, and then I'll add. I kind of personally reflected on my experience. I was a bartender for a summer, and it was a weird thing because I was a bartender at a college bar during the summer, so like the townies kind of came in and knew that I was a college kid. I wasn't from like the small town where it was. It wasn't super fun being a bartender, and people kind of picked on each other, or like they did not have good sides when they were drinking. I thought that the set was kind of big and really nice, Whereas like a lot of bars I've been to and the place I worked at was kind of dingy and not fun. So um, I don't know. I didn't know if it was like a generational thing or like a class thing where like the bar used to be more of like 
the tavern and the watering hole and hanging out. Whereas like my experience was people got drunk and resentful. For some reason, I was expecting Cheers to be more of a dive bar. It's definitely not a dive bar. So, you know, I was a drunk for, you know, for a few years in my in my early 20s. And I never went to any places like like Cheers. Yeah, it's very upscale. Um, it is the sort of place you can imagine, uh, you know, people like Diane stopping in for a drink on their way up to the restaurant that's upstairs or um, it, it can have a real high class kind of clientele. It's interesting. I know the creators were really concerned. Drunk driving was a big issue at that time, and they were really concerned to make sure they didn't send anybody out of the bar, you know, have them joke about driving home or they were always arranging rides for Norm and, and stuff like that. I was shocked about that in the pilot like that, like that really surprised me. Yeah. Apart from that, I don't think they really got into, you know, the dark side of um, Norm will chug beers and you never see him, you know, running to the bathroom to vomit or anything like that. You know, it's sort of um, everything is a little bit sanitized as far as the the downsides of drinking. Um, although there is a part I don't want to spoil this for you, but. At the end of one of the seasons when Sam and Diane break up, I guess it's the end of the second season and the third season, Sam comes in and he's fallen off the wagon. Ooh. And it's really dramatic and, and hard to, to watch. Um, so, uh, you know, they do explore that, I guess. But just in, in terms of the, the fun loving, I'm a little bit worried about having my kids watch it actually, because it does make it seem like the funniest thing you could do is be Norm and, and, um, you know, want to drink a beer, you know, just basically drink nonstop for a, a whole evening every single night. Yeah, Nor Norm is downplayed a lot. I mean, his his character, in my opinion, is a very tragic character, upplaying a very tragic person in real life. Yeah, but he's treated like a hero. He's like a glorified drunk, which which is, I guess, is a little a little unsettling. But maybe people relate to that, especially in the eighties. So, like, when I was a bartender, I was, like, 23-ish. Maybe I was 22. And some of the some of the not-fun stuff was, like, chill. Like, these three construction workers would come in, and, like, two of them would pick on the middle guy who was the youngest, and that was kind of funny. And, like, these two townie couples would, like, kind of stiff me on my tip and, like, make me keep the beers in the back of the fridge. And all that was fine. That was a little bit irritating. But this one night, this professor from another college, his wife or his fiance or someone was at a bachelorette party, so he was just, like, getting some beers and eventually i called a cab for him and he just like kind of stood up and was like i couldn't do that i couldn't do that if i was you and i was like what are you talking about dude he's like couldn't lie like that and he got really loud and he thought that i did not call him a cab and he was getting kind of aggressive about thinking that i had like lied to him and i had overserved this guy and that was my fault but also i was just like shit like do i call the cops like eventually the the guys who were making food on the other side of the restaurant came over and kind of got my back a little bit because i was just a kid but like that wasn't fun and that was also like about a month before i decided i was like i'm not gonna do this anymore i can't remember a case where a character is slurring their words or you know anything that would suggest they've actually you know are behaving the way people in bars tend to behave but at the end of the night I think one thing, too, that I want to throw out there is something I kind of pulled in from what you said, like how your generation of college students kind of went out to find the neighborhood bar. I'm wondering if, like, the next generation of, like, college kids and the next generation of, like, young people, like, went out to find, like, a, a friend-style coffee shop or, like, a diner like Seinfeld. Like, maybe, 
like this show is kind of mm-hmm. like either interpreted the culture of the time or influenced the culture that came after it. You know, and maybe like Cheers yeah. was just before my time because like bar culture or that type of bar culture was kind of before my time. What was it for you, Drew? I'll say for me, it was like looking for the dollar beer place. It, it was like a very big college thing because like I worked in my college town after I graduated. And so I worked at a campus that had a railroad track running through it. So technically, by state law, we were a dry campus. So all the bars that were near campus only served beer and wine. So that was kind of like our thing. And in my school, you went to the bars during the week and you went to parties on the weekends. So a lot of people went to bars on the weekends at other places. That was kind of my experience. What about you, Jack? We had a a campus pub that was actually a lot like Cheers. And the guy who ran the pub, I learned, you know, after going there for years, I learned that he was actually like he had a, a PhD in linguistics or something. <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was like foreshadowing <laughs> kind of pub yeah <laughs> it was a very intellectual kind of pub and i had kind of uh, uh i went to college as kind of a jock and i had been a, a an athlete in high school and i think i had been trying to you know work my way out of that role when i got to college and so it kind of occurred to me as i was i didn't want to oversell this but it kind of occurred to me that the sam kind of transformation that he undergoes as he's subjected to Diane was probably a lot like me when I met a lot of the women that I met at college who were really smart and who kind of exposed me to cultural things that I hadn't been exposed to before. And I think there were probably a lot of people like me uh, who were going to the bar, were glad to be with their pals, but at the same time, were kind of appreciative that we could talk about you know, books and the courses we were taking, and that it wasn't just a uh, uh, meat market or or anything that uh, sometimes bars can be. Yeah, that sounds like a nice bar. Yeah, it was a nice bar. It was the sort of place you'd go like at, uh, you know, two or three in the afternoon on a Friday afternoon to kind of, you know, get your weekend started and maybe have a Guinness or something. And then there was another bar uh, that was a real like city bar. It was a real local uh, kind of hangout, and it had some history. There'd been some books written about it and stuff, and it was a, a really dark bar, but anybody could walk into that bar. This was in Chicago, and so it was that was kind of a fun place to go to as well. Um, and I think it was kind of for the same thing. You went for sort of the company and the camaraderie of of everybody in in the bar, but that one would have a much much less of a a campus feel and more of a city feel. Maybe we can touch one more dangling thread, and then we'll move on to our petard, our, uh, petard trivia. So any comments about Sumner and Diane? We have older man and younger woman. I'm thinking Monica Lewinsky. I mean, she she's excited to go get married to this old dude who probably left his wife for her. I mean, yeah. I mean, that speaks on uh, a problem that I feel like is still prevalent in academia. You know, like that's a power imbalance. It's kind of nice that they're bringing it up. They're they could vilify him a little bit more, but it's nice he's not painted in a sympathetic light. Like, it kind of seems like Sam sees through his bullshit pretty quickly. And that kind of speaks to what you were saying, Jack, about Sam being a good judge of character, being a very observant person. You know, like, he dislikes Sumner right off the bat, probably because he's like, oh, like, that was your teaching aid, and you're like an old professor dude, and your ex-wife still has the ring. Like, you seem like a shitty person. The second season, Sumner comes back and he says to Diane, you know, I I want you, uh, my wife wants to meet you. 
and let's have dinner together. And so Diane is conflicted about whether or not to bring Sam. You know, she's worried that he'll embarrass himself or embarrass her. Sam actually decides to read War and Peace in five days, so he'll be ready for the. (laughs) So he'll be ready for the for the dinner, and so he shows up. You know, he hasn't shaved, he hasn't slept, and he's but he's full of uh, he's full of War and Peace. So it's a very funny episode. That should be in the Petardar. (laughs) That's interesting. You know what? I mean, that kind of also besides the older men younger women thing, that makes me want to watch Cheers more because, like, another show that we highly regarded was Blackish, which did talk about. Not necessarily just differences in race, but differences in class. It kind of seems like this is a show that's definitely discussing different classes and clashes that don't always occur in regular life, especially in 2018 when people kind of bubble themselves off into hanging out with people like them. Mm-hmm. It kind of seems like Cheers was like forecasting that a bit, being like, now you're with us. So, yeah. What does it mean to be a snob? And Diane, you know, does she want to be with the hero of the the hero of the bar culture or does she want to be subservient to a guy like Sumner who's going to, you know, treat her like crap, but it's in a, a world that she maybe respects more than she ever respected the bar. Okay, Hoisters. And now we're going to move into our Petardar. These are recommendations that we have based on whatever we felt like. Drew, you want to start us off? Yes. Um, the Good Place is fantastic. Ted Danson mm. is so funny. The Good Place is very clever. Some people die, and they go to, like, heaven, which they quote-unquote call The Good Place. Ted Danson is the architect of that place, and just, like, a lot of very funny things happen. I'm not going to go too far into it, but if you are an amateur philosopher, or you just want to talk about morality and ethics a bunch, it's it's probably the funniest discussion of those things. There's one particular episode of Frasier where Diane comes back, and she's staging, like, a play that she wrote, it, it relates to you saying that Diane was like unlikable, but she was unlikable on purpose. It's a semi-autobiographical play about her love of Frasier and of Sam, and it is very funny. And it's probably one of my favorite episodes of Frasier. <laughs> I'll just uh, I'll just limit myself to I guess three or four Cheers episodes from the first uh, season and some of the second season. There are a couple of episodes in the first season that have uh, Harry Anderson who. You may know him as the judge on Night Court, but he was actually a magician in real life. And he plays kind of a trickster con man uh, who comes into the bar and he starts ripping everybody off. And he's got all of these, you know, he does these sleight of hand things and he does these. He's always making bets with Cliff and Norm. And um, those episodes are really good. And the one where uh, his second appearance is fantastic. I think it's called Pick a Con, Any Con. Um, and that, you know, it's a great standalone episode. You don't need to to watch all of them in order or anything to enjoy that one. And then there are a pair of episodes that my kids just love. The premise was uh, Sam and Diane were uh, ta- they they start having this banter. They haven't yet dated and they start talking about whether they could pick the perfect date for one another. And so Diane uh, says, well, I could find the, the perfect date for you. And she describes her. And then Sam thinks that she's describing herself. So he thinks that Diane is actually setting him (laughs) up with her. So he doesn't find a date. He just says, oh, well, I have the perfect guy for you. And he's planning to go to the date. And then when uh, when she shows up with this date and he realizes it, he runs into the back room and he grabs this guy and he pays him twenty dollars to to go on this this date with Diane. And it turns out that the guy 
has just gotten out of prison and he was there. He had killed a waitress. And so, <laughs> and the actor is really funny. And he just, he gets more and more strange as the date goes on. And, and that's a beautiful episode. It's really funny. And then in the second season, uh, the final thing I'll recommend is there's an episode where he oh. comes back and he shows up and he's, he's terrified everybody by then. But this time, Diane kind of takes a liking to him because she feels sorry for him. And, and he tells her that actually he really wanted to be an actor, but he fell on hard times and all of this. And so she's really excited that he has this artistic ambition. She decides she's going to call in this uh, some person from the theater she knows, and he'll do an audition. The guy persuades uh, Diane to be in the scene with him, and they're going to do the scene from Othello. <laughs> and then right, this is when Sam and Diane have started dating. And right before they go on stage, uh, she he sees you know Diane and Sam kissing each other for good luck. And so he suddenly flips and he, he didn't know that they were dating and he thought that Diane was in love with him. So he suddenly flips. And so they go to do this, uh, this play and they're doing the scene where Othello strangles Desdemona and, and Diane starts to sense that he actually wants to murder her as part of the performance and her acting, uh, Diane, Shelley Long's acting in that episode is just fantastic because she, She's not only acting as Diane, she's also acting as somebody who's afraid that she's about to be murdered, but she's also trying to put a brave face on it because she has felt sympathy for this guy and she's not positive that he wants to kill her. But then she also is acting as Desdemona, and when she plays Desdemona, she completely overacts and she... You know, she's she's sort of this overly theatrical, but then at the same time, she's trying to watch Othello. And and meanwhile, you know, everyone in the bar is just applauding how realistic <laughs> his performance is and, and everything. It's just a it's a really well done episode. It's full of a lot of twists and turns and and uh, and it's it's really funny, but also really smart. I, I want to watch all those episodes. Now you talk about but I also would recommend The Good Place. I love uh, I love that show as well. I have to give a shout out to my favorite sitcom, and that is Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It it's not quite like the Sears. I mean, it's not quite like the Cheers dynamic. But if you want to just see some really terrible people who are really funny that work and live in a bar most of the time, Always Sunny in Philadelphia is one of my favorite TV shows. And then the, there's there's a Saturday night a Saturday Night Live skit that just reminded me of Norm. The Bill Swirsky's super fans. And these are the guys that sit around and they do the dub bear the skit. Oh, right, right. And that thing's hilarious. <laughs> is, is it Norm in that? He's one of them, yeah. Some Chicago dudes. And they come up with these just outrageous matchups between Chicago teams versus these other teams. And it's it's really funny. And, of course, dub bears. <laughs> That's a funny, funny sketch. Now, listeners, we're going to move into what is becoming my favorite part of the show. This is our petard trivia. And unlike our other guest, I warned Jack Wilson about this, Drew. So you, you have an <laughs> opponent who is possibly prepared. He watched the episode twice. It sounds like he did a lot of research, which may or may not have helped him for the upcoming questions. Okay. Hoisters, if you missed it, Drew has, Drew has fallen from his ranks. He used to be a Me number too. one contender. Now he's <laughs> now he's just a nobody down there swimming, you know, swimming with the fish or whatever. Jobber. All right, and so Drew's buzzer is going to go like this. Buzz. And 
Jack's buzz is going to go like this. Buzz. We might have multiple choice. We might have closest answer. We might have best answer. Be prepared. All right. Question number one. What was Sam's nickname as a Red Sox? Jack? Mayday. That is correct. Sam Mayday Malone. (laughs) Uh, Drew, be ready. Okay, so Jack just (laughs) took an early one nothing lead. I know. Just call me Mr. 500. (laughs) For now. All right. In the opening scene, a young man comes into the bar and tries to buy a drink. He gives Sam Walter Keller's military ID. What is the rank of Mr. Walter Kelly's ID? Buzz. Drew. Lieutenant. Jack, would you like to come in and make the steal? I will give a point to the closest answer. Ooh. I was going to say lieutenant as well. I'll say sergeant. Jack's going to steal that point. He It was first <laughs> sergeant oh! Walter Keller. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Jack has... has uh, Two nothing lead. Yeah. All right, Drew, come on, man. Get your shit together, dog. Question number three. What was Carla's excuse for being late, according to Carla? Buzz? Drew. Her kid was sick. No, the the sitter was late and the kid was sick. What's your final answer, sir? Sitter was late. Jack, would you like to come in for the steal? (laughs) (laughs) The kid was sick. Ah, Drew. The correct answer was, my kid was throwing up all over the place, and Jack is going to win that point as the closest answer. <laughs> why, why do you cheat for everyone else to keep games closed? Well, it's time for you to cheat for You me. answered first, man. What do you want me to do? Be subtle. Be like, are you sure? Are you sure? What about the other answer? Check this out, Drew. The next, next two questions are going to be worth two points, all right? <laughs> all right. All right. All right. We have a multiple choice. There were five sweaty films mentioned in the Cheers pilot episode. Or which of those five sweaty movies was Ted Danson a supporting actor on? A. Alien. B. Ben Hur. C. Body Heat. D. Cool Hand Luke. Buzz. Or go ahead, Drew. Body Heat. That is correct. Drew just yes. got two points. <laughs> Back in All the right. game. Back in the game. So Jack still has a 3-2 lead. Thank you, Jack, for, for giving Drew that sympathy question after <laughs> after he so, you know, I needed it. whined and complained about about the unfair treatment. Yeah, yeah. It it is unfair if you work in the reps. To avoid our tiebreaker question, this is gonna be worth two points. So we're gonna have a winner here. And I will take the closest answer. So in the pilot episode. Diane is reading a book. What is the title of that book? Buzz. Jack. Is it Plato? Drew, do you have a more precise answer? <laughs> <laughs> or a better answer? A different answer. Drew, do you have a different answer? Plato's Republic? It is Plato's Republic. Okay, you know what? We are going to have to go to the tiebreaker. We'll, we'll go to a tiebreaker. <laughs> I, I did not know the answer to that. And he helped Correct me. answer. And there was a hint. She was reading selected poems in two plays of William Butler Yeats. Oh, okay. Interesting. I think she might read Plato. Maybe that's in the second episode. Uh, maybe we zoomed in on it at home here. Way to wow. take a cheap steal, though, Drew. <laughs> hey, I do what I got to do for for entertainment purposes. We're gonna go on to our tiebreaker question. The closest answer will get this. We'll we'll get this point, and let's just make it two points to give Drew, a, you know, a fighting chance. The book was read. Can I have one point for that? No. 
So the pilot episode premiered on September 30th, 1982. What was its rank among 77 other shows? Buzz. Drew. Fifth. Okay. Mm. Jack, would you like to go in for a steal? Closest answer will win this one. Okay, I'll say sixth. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> Cheers was almost canceled. <gasps> On its premiere night, it did not do very well. It, it picked up a lot of steam afterwards. It was ranked 74th out of Whoa. 77. Yeah. All right, so our winner yeah. of Petard Trivia, Jack. author and host <laughs> of the History of Literature podcast, Mr. Jack Wilson. Thank you. I'm excited. Although yes. I do feel I do feel a little bit better about my success earlier in persuading you to nudging you toward uh, a thumbs up for the show, but I that's feel quite good the that accomplishment. I, yeah. But I also I have to say, uh, to win a trivia contest of an episode that uh, premiered before the two of you were born is a little bit <laughs> of a. <laughs> I would feel much worse if I had if I had lost. I, th I think you said you were 11, so I doubt you were there taking notes at home as you know, right. as a young Jack Wilson. <laughs> you know, they, they talk about her, Yates, now that I think about it. Sumner says that at one point, doesn't he, where he says, I was reading my Proust and you were reading your Yates. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He gave a clue. All right, Hoisters. So, so Drew, unfortunately, um, Mr. see, I really wanted Drew to be the petard trivia champion and each week we, we would have a guest that would try and take them down and, and then they would fall short somehow it hasn't quite played out that way you're, you're cheating the wrong way jimbo you're not cheating effectively if that's what you wanted yeah you know we'll figure it out jimbo i think you're having more fun watching me lose i think you enjoy it <laughs> you know i think you're still having a good time I, I am having a good time this is yeah okay so um we'd like to thank jack wilson for coming on Thank you for choosing Cheers. We had a, I think, a solid conversation. This is a blast from the past. This is this is the the oldest pilot we have covered so far. Maybe this will lead us to to tackle some other classic sitcoms and television shows. Oh well, thank you, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. And as of right now, we do not have a pilot scheduled for next week, Hoisters. So stay tuned. Check and follow our blog so you can participate in our pre-recording discussion. I'm going to probably shoot for something newer. You guys like new episodes. Cloak and Dagger got a lot of downloads. Yes. Random people searching us on their podcast app like new stuff. And our intro-outro music was mixed by Jake Drew. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or you can join our Facebook group. And so now, Hoisters, we're moving into Shop Talk. And if you can't tell by the music... The show is officially over, but if you love us as much as we love us, we're going to stick around for possibly a couple more minutes, and who knows what we may or may not talk about. Jack, that 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 was the show. Shop Talk is literally started off as that. Drew and I would talk about like how we thought the show went, and I just thought it was kind of cool, so we left it in. And then our, our few listeners complained about it, and so I left it in to like spite them. <laughs> <laughs> then we started telling like weird personal stories, and like Mo. Um, you know, she had like a couple funny stories, and so now Shop Talk has kind of become whatever's going on with us. Or we do also sometimes talk about the shows as well. I can tell you a personal story about watching Cheers that I was a little too embarrassed to tell during the uh, the regular uh, show. Cool. Uh, so I was, I can remember. So as I sort of mentioned, I grew up with the show, and I was as we were getting ready for the finale. 
um, you know, it really felt like we were saying goodbye to these people. And it was it was just crushing that there wouldn't be new Cheers episodes on anymore. And so I was really excited to watch the finale. But I was in college and I had to work. I think the, the show came on at eight and I I worked right up until eight. And so I didn't know, you know, and I didn't want to miss even a minute of the show. And so I, I wrapped up a little bit early. I actually worked. I sat at a desk at a music lesson studio while kids came in and out of their lessons. And I sort of I hurried up and I ended all the lessons early so I could usher everybody out and I could turn off the lights and lock up the doors. And then I ran back to the dorm where I knew this episode was going to be on TV in the lounge. It was raining. And so I I basically ran. I didn't go to the the bathroom or my room or anything to freshen up. I just I just went straight to the couch and I got there, you know, right as it was starting. And this this woman looked at me and she was like, you know, I was probably breathing hard and I was sweating and she was like, "Are you okay?" And I said, "Oh, yeah, yeah. I just uh I just ran home." And and she said, you you ran home to watch this, you know, like, <laughs> like, like she couldn't believe that I was there to watch a sitcom, you know, that I would run all the way home. And so I totally um, passed it off as like, oh, well, it was raining. I didn't have an umbrella. I didn't want to get really wet. And so I, I just ran, you know, to 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 minimize the amount of time I was outside. And, you know, she kind of looked at me like, well, yeah, but if if you were you were doing that for normal reasons you probably would have gone and gotten a towel or done something instead of just <laughs> yeah. you know like come straight to the television and plopped out she totally yeah. saw through me but i just thought <laughs> i don't care i don't want to miss a single joke i want to be there when you know i want to see when they when norm walks in and they all yell out norm and i want to see all of this for the last time and uh i just uh it just would not have been as good to watch it on tape i just had to watch it as it was broadcast Drew had mentioned that that the finale was is ranked a, among a lot of top lists for finales. So hoist or not hoist the Cheers finale? Well, for me, it's not hoist. Okay. Yeah, it's a great it's a great finale. I do like nice. a lot of uh, finales. Um, Seinfeld was the the big disappointment for me, um, but otherwise, you know, I I tend to look back very fondly on a lot of uh, season fan finales. I think a lot of them are really well done. Isn't Seinfeld's finale like a lot funnier in hindsight, though? Yeah, I think it was funny in concept. Yeah, I was about to say it. I like the <laughs> I like the idea of Seinfeld's finale, which is nothing has changed, and yes, these people are in fact awful. But the execution, and I remember watching it at the time, being just disappointed. I I also remember watching it like Seinfeld was a cool show to watch each week in high school. I think it's funny. My biggest takeaway watching it again in college on TBS was. George dates a lot of very attractive women who have a lot of things going for them. And George appears to have very little going for him. So that was one of the <laughs> earliest occurrences of like, I feel like we'll become the Kevin James slovenly man, attractive woman, sitcom uh, archetype or stereotype. I think there was a feeling when I was watching Seinfeld that it was really refreshing that it wasn't trying to manipulate my emotions at all, that it was, it was just basically saying, you know, we all know that TV is, um, you know, when it's really well done, fine. But most TV is kind of schlocky and especially everything in the 70s and 80s was, you know, there would be a message or there would be a, a, a tear, a tear jerking moment. And and Seinfeld was very refreshing that it it consciously tried not to have those. But when I look back on it, 
Um, you know, there are there are episodes of Cheers I've watched with my kids where I can see my kids get a little bit broken up by something that they see or, you know, they feel the the highs and the lows and the sad moments and the disappointments. And I sort of if I think of it as like a play um, and I think, you know, is it is it ambitious enough? Uh, I don't know that Seinfeld it was funny, but I don't feel like I never feel warm when I watch it. I never feel um you know, I don't feel any emotions other than humor, really. Uh, did you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yeah, that's a show. I think I've watched the first two or three seasons, and I I probably need to binge watch that. I, I like that show. And then I've, I've just heard many people comment that, like, once they watched Curb Your Enthusiasm, they appreciated Seinfeld less because people yeah, thought George right. was this brilliant character. And they're like, no, George is Larry David. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. George George is like the uh the PG version of the Larry David character. Yeah, is is there any connection with the shift of of morals and meaning in sitcoms with society, I wonder. That would that that would make an interesting little uh case study or my generation it was like our parents were watching Johnny Carson and we would maybe watch Johnny Carson and laugh, but like we were really into David Letterman and we were really into the sort of sarcasm. If a television special was about somebody with a drug addiction and at the end you were supposed to learn the lesson that drugs were bad, we would mock that. And I think that was kind of where The Simpsons and Seinfeld started to take things. And it kind of, you know, all of those people were people who had grown up with this uh, detachment and they would sort of see through television and see through kind of the, the message or the, um, you know, the morals that were being promoted in this sort of clunky way by some of these shows. And so I do think it kind of reflects society that we sort of, we turned into a, a very knowing society that, um, is sort of smarter than what we're watching or, you know, everybody is, is a little bit, uh, just feels much more self-aware than, say, my my parents' generation when they were sitting down and watching I Love Lucy and just laughing without thinking too hard about it. I think it's interesting you talk about cynicism isn't the right word, but I feel like there's a coming back aroundness to like maybe altruism in sitcoms and in entertainment. Because I've actually read and I've seen an article or two that like the idea of like quote unquote millennial, but like younger people, like people in their like twenties and not yet in their thirties are like binging Frasier. Mm. You know, it's a nice show. It's not super mean. There's not really high stakes. It's just kind of like comfort food sitcoms. Yeah. Maybe a little bit in the way that like Cheers is. Like your kids are kind of responding to Cheers, maybe because it's not mega self-aware and like cynical, like some shows that are being produced now, you know? Yeah. Like Cheers has so many references to sex and so much that, um, you know, I sort of, if my kids were a couple years younger, I would be racing to put my hands over their ears. And yet, uh, even though in that way, it's probably, uh, I don't know how great a parent I am for letting them watch it. I do think like I could watch Seinfeld, but I would worry that they would just develop this thing where, I mean, this, the Seinfeld characters are basically so narcissistic and selfish that I think the lessons that they'd be learning from Cheers are probably better. You know, that they're they're characters who at the end of the day really sort of care for each other and they look out for each other. And, um, you know, there's sort of a humanity there um, that is kind of absent in in a show like Seinfeld. I was teaching sixth graders last year and I do remember being 
about this the same age as as your boys if they go to school then then they're getting much yeah. worse yeah. well one of the things too that's nice about television and i suppose all parents do this in movies is without having to have a lot of awkward conversations with your kids you can gauge from what they're laughing at and what they get you know you yeah, kind of know where point. they are yeah. And so you're watching this this television show and, and you can tell when they or if they, get, you know, if they sort of roll their eyes or or sigh at, at somebody who's, um, you know, transgressing in some way, if they're if they're, um, you know, if someone is especially uh, misogynistic or something. And if the kids sort of shake their heads and they realize that that's the bad guy or something and you without having to go through all of these lessons and have all of these conversations, you can kind of sense what your kids where your kids are on the um both on the maturity level and and what they understand but also what kind of values that they have developed kind of something the theme of seinfeld is just that like people are awful and the characters are awful and there's humor that you can find in just people being like weird and crazy maybe that's what i like about seinfeld it's not untrue yeah, that's right. what I love about Always Sunny. I feel like Always Sunny is just the rated R version of Seinfeld. Oh man, it's Always Sunny goes to such a darker place. Well, <laughs> Jack, have you watched It's Always Sunny? I've seen a couple of episodes. I love them. That's another one that I every time I watch it, I think, why have I not watched every episode of this? Danny DeVito, you know, you yeah. got Carla's Carla's love interest. That's right. And he, yeah. I mean, all those characters are they're just such scumbags. Always Sunny does do a lot more parody and social social stuff that Seinfeld didn't quite do as much. It's like somewhat South Parkish, you know, at times. And there's a ton of episodes, right? Twelve or it's it's coming back next year. I feel like when I try and watch seasons nine, ten, eleven, it got way darker. And like that show was real dark to begin with. <laughs> Always Sunny's the only show that I that I watch. Like. I mean, like, that I keep up with. Like, when the new episode comes out, I'm going to watch it. And, you know, they're hit and miss. I think this is a good spot to uh, to end on. We're approaching 100 minutes, so that's so that's uh, about about right. Jack, I don't know about you, but we always try and keep it short, and it never happens. Oh, never. Yeah. <laughs> Stop trying. I know. I think your show is probably one that people are joining because they like the company as well. So they probably don't mind if it goes a little long because they get to spend more time with you guys. Yeah, mostly our family members and friends. So, <laughs> <laughs> And Jack, thanks for joining us. It was really cool. This was great. I think it's a great idea for a show. And I like the episodes I've listened to. And I was glad to be a part of this one. Thanks for inviting me. And so every day we're hoistling. Jimbo out. <laughs> Every day we're horselin', Drew out. Bye.